The following program was produced for the Focus on the Family daily radio broadcast, featuring psychologist and author Dr. James Dobson. Here now to get things underway is former Focus on the Family co-host Mike Trout. Oh boy, have you ever had one of those days where everything seems to go right except those things you need to go right? Like the lawnmower, for instance? <laughs> well, believe it or not, a temperamental lawnmower was a key player in the life of a family, a man and his wife and children and their neighbor. And we're going to hear all about it on today's edition of Focus on the Family. Our host is psychologist and author Dr. James Dobson, and I'm Mike Trout. Welcome to the broadcast. As uh, we go back a number of years ago, Doctor, to uh, one of the first tapes that you chose to play here on the air, tapes that include a message from someone else, and this has become one of the uh, most popular presentations we've ever made here on Focus on the Family. I'm anxious to get mm-hmm. back to it, aren't yes. you? Uh, one of the principles here at Focus on the Family that, that you have founded this ministry on is the equal worth of all individuals. Absolutely. Those who are unborn, those who are elderly, those who are handicapped in some way. And uh, this story is an example of how one man and his family responded to another man who I think the rest of the community thought was handicapped. And I've never heard a message that uh, lays that out more clearly Mm, than this one. We're going to go back to one of the great moments in the history of Focus on the Family, uh, to one of the first taped speeches that we ever uh, played on the air. It's a message by Mike Atkins that we simply called A Man Called Norman. A listener sent this tape uh, to me way back in 1984, and I listened to it on a trip mm-hmm. with Shirley one time, and we loved it so much that uh, I brought it back and we put it on the air. And our listeners obviously felt the same way because the response was overwhelming. In fact, we've been broadcasting now, Mike, for 23 years. And this tape ranks number 10 all time in the number of tapes requested. And after today's broadcast, it may move up to (laughs) six or seven or eight. Uh, Then in 1988, we produced a video by the same title featuring Mike Atkins. Mm -hmm. And that video was the most popular Christian film in the United States for a long time. And uh, it went all over the world. Then in 1989, we published a book called A Man Called Norman, the same story in book form. Uh, So we have really made use of the message that we're going to let people hear today. Many of our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with Mike, but uh, we have new listeners every single day. And and for that reason, let me give just a little bit of background as we move into him. He's a popular Christian singer and speaker. He travels all over the country as a wonderful gift uh, from the Lord to communicate. He's used it exceptionally well in this presentation and others. Again, it's called A Man Called Norman. We prayed about what house to buy, and we bought a house. God led us to it, got us a marvelous deal on it. It's the kind of house I love. It's an old house that I could work on and fix up. (laughs) First thing I did, I said, I just see in my mind what this house was going to look like when I got finished. Didn't look that way now, but when I finished, and I started with a lawn out in the front, there was an old tree that had rotted and fell down, and I was going to fill in that little hole in the ground, and just, there was still a little bit of a stump. I was going to cut that out, fill the hole in, make it nice and smooth. I forgot, since we prayed, I forgot to check first to see who lived around me. Because I trusted the Spirit of God, you know, that He would take care of those little things like that, and 
And I'm going to tell you who lived right around the house I bought. On my left was a Catholic couple, their family. And on my right, I told you just backwards, on my right was a Catholic couple. On my left was a retired Methodist preacher. We became dear friends. He had great wisdom. He's dead now, but he was one of my dearest friends. And right across the street was a widow lady. And next door to her is the one I want to tell you about. It was an old, we used to, when his kids called them old haunted looking houses. Now we had a fellow in our town that everybody used to laugh at. Not everybody, you know what I mean, but generally, and the kids, we'd throw snowballs at him in the wintertime. He was weird. He was strange. You know, he was, a lot of people call him your town jokes. They're in every town, I notice. This, this fellow's name was Norman. Old Norman, he was six foot two thereabouts, and he wore an old felt-looking hat that had so much dirt and oil in it you couldn't tell what it looked like originally. Wore overalls that were just grease-soaked. He had old house shoes that he'd flop around town in, sometimes rubber galoshes, and they just flop when he walked up and down the street. And he'd walk real fast up and down Main Street like this, just and real fast, and then he'd stop and he'd talk to himself. I said, hey, and and he and he'd do that all over Main Street, and people'd say, boy, he's weird, isn't he? He owned the house across the street from me where the bushes were grown up and the old chocolate paint was falling off the house and the windows were so filthy and I didn't even think anybody lived there at first. And what, that day that I was out there working on my tree stump going to fix the yard in my coveralls, barefoot, my wife and kids had gone uptown to the grocery store or something. I'm digging around the tree stump, going to saw it out. And I look over there. He walked out of that house and I saw that he lived there and I said, Oh, no. I said, Lord, that's weird Norman over there. I said, you had me by the house across the street from weird Norman. I said, now, Lord, he's, you know, I don't know exactly what's wrong. I hear a lot of rumors, but he, I got two daughters, and he, sometimes I got to be, and he's strange. Hey, you know, I don't, I, he might harm them, I thought. And so I, I, I watched him. He came down to come out to the sidewalk and go uptown or somewhere, and I said, uh, <clears throat> Hi, Norman. He looked at me, and he went, hmm, and took off down the street. A couple of days later, I was out there working on the same tree stump. He came out again. This time, he came out to work on his lawnmower out in the backyard. Something was wrong with it. It wouldn't run. Uh, he worked with it. He looked like he was getting disgusted, and I was watching him. I, I thought, boy, he really is strange. And then he did something that I'll never forget for eternity. He, he stood up as tall as he could. He looked like the Incredible Hulk. He raised his arms. He looked at me. He glared at me and he ran from the back of his yard where I could just see him out to the side of the house, down the side of the house, right at me, stopping at his sidewalk. Praise God. He ran at me and screamed at the top of his lungs. He went, Ah! My heart was going... I had a little tool in my hand my brother-in-law made in the shop class at the high school had given it to me and I remember saying now Lord I know we're supposed to love everybody but if he comes over here Lord I'm going to defend myself <laughs> he went back to the lawnmower and he's fooled around with it a little more got angry some more ran at me again stopped at his sidewalk every time three times he did that three times he stopped at his sidewalk suddenly the presence of the Lord settled all over me I didn't expect it I was surprised by it, but it settled all over me. And when it did, it seemed that faith or, or confidence, or I don't know the right word, more than I normally possessed, it began to well up in me. And I did something that surprised even me. I got up, barefoot, coveralls, walked across that street, and walked up to Norman in his backyard by his lawnmowers. I said, uh, 
You having trouble with your lawnmower, Norman? He looked at me and he said, You having trouble with your lawnmower, Norman? I said, I, I just said that. I said, I'm not, I'm not much of a lawnmower mechanic, Norman. And I heard him say, I'm not much of a mechanic, Norman. As I looked at him. Clean the spark plug, tighten the screw or two. I don't know anything about a lawnmower. And I prayed and pulled that rope and it ran like it had been to the repair shop. Just hum, just... I got up and I looked at him and he looked at that lawnmower. And he looked at me and he looked at that lawnmower. And he did something for the first time I saw when he grinned real big. I saw a green and yellow tooth right here. And I saw one over here and one here and one here. And those spectacles he had on looked like Coke bottles. They were thick and he had whiskers, had that old hat. But there he was grinning at me. And after that, every time he'd come out of the house, and I'd say, hi, Norman, he'd go, hello. And then he'd take off down the street. Men in my town said, I wonder what, reckon what's the matter with Norman. Well, he's in a barber shop. You know, that's where you find out things in town. And especially our small town. And one fellow said, I know what it is. Uh, Norman was hit by a Greyhound bus once. I heard it. Another fellow said, no, no, Fred, that's not it at all. What happened to Norman was he was brilliant. He was a genius. Everybody in the barber shop was... He said, in fact, he was such a genius that his mind exploded one day. I, I kind of knew what he was talking about. I, I had an algebra teacher once that... Boy, he knew algebra. He, I didn't, but he did. But he, he'd come to class every day... As brilliant as he was, he had his tie turned inside out like that every day. And I figured that was from too much, you know. And maybe that's what Norman's problem was. And... But God didn't care about all that. He said to me, you, by get, beginning to put a little seed of a seed of a seed way down here deep in my heart for the first time, he said, witness Jesus to him. Well, okay, Lord, I'll... One night after church, it is tradition in our town to go to the Dairy Queen. Not so much anymore. We've got a new McDonald's too. But, but in, in our town, everybody used to go to the Dairy Queen after church. It was just what they did in those days. It was a trend. And the scene was always the same. You know, whoever got out first, whoever had the 20-minute service got there first, got their ice cream, sat down. Then the church that had the 25-minute service, they followed and they got there next. They got their ice cream. They always waved at one another. Hi, Bill. Hi, John. Hi, Hi, Betty. How's your family? Fine. How was church? I, oh, it always interested me. They always said the same thing. They'd say, oh, wonderful. Never had heard anybody have a bad service. And everybody be waving and smiling in the Dairy Queen. And everybody be eating their ice cream. I've done it myself. I'm not saying anything about my neighbors I wouldn't say about myself. I was doing it myself. I was sitting there eating ice cream one night, and I smiled at everybody. Guess who walked in right in the middle of all that? Thank you. He comes, gets his ice cream cone, he always sits there, right in the same seat. And every Christian in the place, especially Brother Mike, who travels around the country lifting up Jesus and singing adoration, I rushed over to him and gave him the four spiritual laws. No, I did what everybody else did. I act like I didn't see him. We gave him room. We didn't talk about him or to him about Jesus. I've always wondered why, now that I tell this story, I thought, well, I guess it's because if somebody saw me talking to him, they might think I'm as strange as he is. 
And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, Quietly, and don't make a show out of it, go over and tell him about Jesus. I said, Carmel, pray for me. I'm going to go talk to Norman. <laughs> She's getting used to that kind of action. And she prayed, and I went over there, and I sat down and real quick. And I said, Hi, Norman, you remember who I am? He said, You remember who I am? <laughs> I, said, oh. I said, Norman, listen. I'm your neighbor. He said, I'm your neighbor. Had those same glasses on. He had dirt in his left ear. I could not believe it. He had an ice cream cone. He had ate part of it and had part of it in his whiskers. And he looked at me out of those eyes, out of those thick glasses. And I said, Norman, do you, do you know who Jesus is? He said, do you know who Jesus is? I said, because people were beginning to look. I said, Norman, did you ever think about asking Jesus to come into your heart and your life? He never repeated me. For the first time, he said, I've given it serious consideration. I was shocked. A couple nights later, the Lord said, 700 Club's going to have an extra special good program on tonight. Invite Norman. Hey, Norman! Hey, Norman, you all come over tonight watch television. 700 Club's got a big tell. Come on. The Lord wanted to witness to him. He said, okay. He dressed up for us that day. He didn't take a bath. He didn't put on different clothes. He... He put on an old string tie that somebody had given him, hung about like that, and here he come across the street that night. And he come up the steps, and he came in the house. I've got a chair that is light-colored, gold, very light, velvet, kind of, it's my lazy boy, I love it. I crank it out, and, you know, and I love it, it's right in front of the television. And the Lord said, get him there where you can see, because he's got those glasses, and he's, I want to witness to him. And I, I, I said, Norman, come on in, we're really glad to have you tonight at our house, lied. I said, sit down over here in my chair. <laughs> he sat down in my chair and he watched 700 Club he was witness to. My wife sat back here and I sat back here and we watched him watch 700 Club. And after a while he got up and said, thank you very much. And he started out the door and I went over and turned the light on for him. I said, watch the steps. Now. Good night, Norman. Good night now. Come back. And good night. Closed the door. I ran in the house, ran over to my chair. I looked at my chair. There wasn't a spot on it. It was like no one had ever sat there. It was clean. My wife sprayed a little bit of stuff in the air, and the house smelled real good, and we couldn't even tell he'd been there. A few days later, the Lord said, Take him somewhere with you. I said, Hey, Norman, you ever go to the St. Louis baseball game? Bush Stadium, St. Louis? No. Like to. I said, We'll go. Picked him up just a few days later. It was hot weather by this time. He come out with one of the longest wool tweedy looking winter coats on you've ever laid eyes on it touched him about his shoes and he's big tall he looked like the gray ghost when he come out of the house I said Norman you're not gonna need that coat it's hot you know we're gonna be outdoors if there's no and it's the sun just and you'll pers- and you leave away and he said oh, 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 oh. I said Norman you know oh. get in the car Norman <laughs> turn the air conditioner wide open head up the interstate to St. Louis he kept looking at that CB radio. Finally, I said, talk on that thing. Here, push that button and talk. I said, hey, man, breaker, we got a fellow here who never had a CB, never been around one before. He, he mows lawns around our town for a living, and he cleans ashes out of the furnaces in the wintertime. I said, let's give him a name. Give him a nickname. Somebody said, well, he'd be the old grass cutter. And he just, and, and I said, here, old grass cutter, talk to him. He said, hello? It's the old grass cutter. And it, 
He was fascinated. He got to St. Louis at the ball game. We parked in the parking area. And when we got out of the car, I figured out a plan. I said, Norman, I'm not going in the ball game with you if you wear that stupid old coat. I was really afraid what somebody would think again. I said, Norman, leave it in the car. Just leave it here. He looked at me and he, he studied me to see if I was really that serious. And I was. And he, we faced off for a while. And finally, he began to take that old coat off. And when he took it off, I saw why he was wearing it. He had on two pair of dress pants that were split, both of them, all the way up the back. I said, put your coat back on, Norman. <laughs> we went in the ball game. We turned that turnstile and walked in. And the first guy we saw was a little old guy with a T-top on. He had a shorts on right here. He didn't have a muscle on his body, but he thought he did. He had hair stood out like a Brillo pad. He had a transistor radio great big under this arm. He had a big cup of something to drink in this arm, and he was bebopping in the ball game. He, he, looked at, he looked at Norman, never batted an eye. Looked at me a little strange. We got in. Norman didn't watch the game at all. He watched the crowd. 30,000 people. He said, could I have a hot dog? I gave him a hot dog and then another one and then ten more. And I gave him soda and peanuts. I never seen a machine eat like that. He just ate and ate and ate. And the seventh inning got there. And I, I forgot it was the seventh inning. Everybody in the place stood up to stretch. And I said, oh, yeah, Norman. But this time I had told him, because it was hot, he was perspiring. I said, just take your coat down and drape it over the seat. Sometime back around the third inning or so. And he draped it over the seat and he was much more comfortable. But now it was the seventh inning and we were standing all over the park and I, I said, stand up, Norman, let's stretch. And we were just stretching away. And all of a sudden I happened to glance behind me. The guy behind me was going. <laughs> I said, sit down, Norman, sit down, sit down. <laughs> It'd been a busy year, busy year. I've been working at the coal mine and... Uh, and I was tired, and I've been singing in churches on the weekend, and I was telling the Lord about, you know, because my vacation was coming up. And you know what the Lord told me? He said, why don't you take Norman with you on vacation? I said, I'm going to Opryland, Lord. Norman at Opryland just, and he said, I said, Lord, I'm not going to do it now. I, Sir, I, I'm tired, and a couple of weeks later, we was going down the highway to Opryland, Norman sitting beside me, my wife and kids in the back. I noticed something about him. He was beginning to be relaxed around people. He was beginning to be less nervous, and he didn't talk to himself as much as he had before. We got to Opryland, and uh, I didn't put him on the Wabash Cannonball, you know, because he's about 62 years old at the time, and I was afraid he might have a heart problem over that, you know. So I tried to pick out a ride he could handle, and I found the bumper cars. I said, Norman, do you ever ride in a... No. I said, here's how they work. Push the pedal, turn the wheel, and, get and have a good time. Get in there. We got him in there, and he sat down in that big old bumper car with all them kiddies and all them uh, girlfriends that wanted to hit their boyfriends with their car and all the mothers that wanted to hit the fathers with a car, and, and he got everybody in the place caught over to one side. <laughs> they turned that right on. He had the whole crowd pinned, and he had his car sideways, and they had him jammed in over there, and they were mad. And he was looking around going... And looking at me going, <laughs> and he couldn't figure it out. We began to laugh. And we were standing outside that place. Tears began to run in my eyes. I said, look, I'm looking at Norman. He's got him. Everyone caught over there. And the kids were going, oh. And, and finally, somebody got loose. And the ride was about half over. And they felt like they'd been cheated. And they were in a hurry. They came all the way around that rink. And they wanted to hit somebody before that ride was over. And there sat Norman. And they hit him full speed ahead. He went, oh. And then he really tried to get that thing going. And 
Here comes someone else and they were starting to get loose now in great numbers and one by one they'd come around and they'd hit Norman and the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me at Opryland. And he said, that's what they've been doing to Norman all his life. People been hitting on him. They've been hitting on him. When they throw snowballs at him, like he's not a human being, they hit on him. When they bring him old junky clothes they wouldn't wear anymore themselves, they hit on him. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, that's what my children do, my children, to one another. They get mad because they can't play the piano or the organ or they can't teach their favorite Sunday school class or they gossip about the preacher or they gossip about some lady or some man. And then he reminded me of the 13th chapter, 1 Corinthians. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, though I have all faith so I could remove mountains, understand all mysteries, if I have no charity, love, I... Need another cassette tape? Another book? No, it says, I am nothing. I had taken Norman an old suit of mine that I didn't wear anymore. God brought that to my attention. And I, I went over and looked in this closet and I couldn't believe my eyes. Old shoes of every description you can imagine. Old suits. Sweaters that hung this way, all kinds of ties, bolos, sparkly ties, big wide ties, little ties, nothing that anyone would want to wear. I said, God, give me an opportunity. To bless me some way, Lord. And uh, a revival to sing at came in. And I know they, they gave me an offering at the end of the revival. And the Lord said, buy Norman a suit. I went downtown. I bought one of the nicest suits I could find. I made sure it cost at least more than any suit I owned in my wardrobe. And I went to get him and take him. And he picked it out. He liked it. It was kind of dark blue. He had good taste. It had a little stitching around here. It was polyester. It was nice. It was expensive. And I said, Norman, you ever been clean? He said, it's been years. He said, uh, he said, I'm a hermit, you know. Uh, my dad got killed in the coal mines about 50 years ago. Went to work one day. I was just a little boy, and uh, he didn't come home. Some men came to our house and said uh, the roof fell in on him. I remember his funeral. I saw my uncle. Have not ever seen him again? I said, Norman, uh, I'm going to run some water for you in your bathtub, and uh, I really want you to get clean, because tonight I want to take you down to a church that's having a gospel singing. Went in his bathroom, I couldn't believe my eyes. Pulled the curtain back, oh, the floor was like dirt. The tub was so filthy, I had to take all the sacks out of it first. He saved paper sacks, I didn't know why. I took them all out, and then I cleaned the tub with SOS pads, and, and when I turned the hot water faucet on, it fell in the tub. And I got it back up and taped it back on, and... Got it. It leaked a little, but it worked all right. And I got his hot water ran in there, and I went in and I said, Now, Norman, see, you got a new white shirt and a tie to go with your suit, and you got new shoes and socks and underclothes, and let's really get clean. I mean, you know, really, really. And, and, and I said, When you're through, holler at me, okay? He went in there in the bathroom, and I went in the living room. Look at that unbelievable house he lived in. Wallpaper sagging, rain had got in, falling off the walls and the ceiling. 
and dirt everywhere. He had an old coal furnace that belched smoke in the wintertime. Something was wrong with it. I don't know how he lived at night when he turned that on in the wintertime. Sometimes he didn't use it. I saw that he had several covers on his bed. He'd just crawl under, and that old mattress was like that. And, and I shook the curtain, and <coughs> dust just came out. And I said, while he was in there in the bathtub, I heard him in there. He was in there soaping. Oh, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up. He finally said, I'm okay, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm clean. I went in there and I pulled that curtain back. I told him to get out of the tub and just put a towel around him. There he stood. His glasses were off, water dripping in the floor, and I, with a towel around him. And I looked at him, and I... Have you ever seen mud that had just been smeared? I said, not clean enough, Norman. Why don't you get back in the tub? Now, Norman, I'm serious. Now, get clean. We want to be... Re-. And went back in the living room, looked at the other one. Went back in after he said he was okay. That went on time and time again. Finally, the floor was wet. The mirror was wet. The tub was wet. I was wet. He was wet. But when he got finished, I had scrubbed his head. I got him down like this. I didn't hurt him, but I got him in a headlock where he couldn't get away. I got an SOS. I got some lava soap, and I got a uh, sponge, and I began to rub the top of his head. And I rubbed it, and he'd go, mmm, mmm, mmm. I rubbed it. And pretty soon I looked, and there was a bunch of white showing through he had beautiful white hair. I scrubbed some more. I said, put your face up here. And he went. And I scrubbed his face, and I gave him the sponge. I said, all right, big boy, from the neck on down, it's yours. Get it clean. When we got finished, water all over the place, you could rub your thumb on him anywhere, and he'd squeak. We went downtown to the church, to the gospel singing. We sat down. People come up to me and say, Well, Brother Mike, we're really glad to have you visiting here tonight. God bless you. And who's your friend? And about the time they'd get his hand, I'd say, That's Norman. And they'd go... <laughs> One Sunday right after that, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, Today is Norman's day. Take a Bible. Get a pastor friend. We went over to Norman's. We got the book of Romans and we began to tell him, how we've all come short of the kingdom of God. How he could receive salvation. At first he didn't understand and then he grasped it. He, he said to me, oh, I see what you mean. He said, I used to listen when I was a little boy to the radio. My mom would play, that preacher was on. And he said, you mean like my windows right there are so dirty. And he said, you're saying that Jesus, if I'll ask him, will clean my heart up like, like sometimes when I wash my windows. And I said, yeah, Norman, he'll clean up inside of you and then, and then the outside too. And he said, I, I would like that. And that old house with the wind blowing and uh, cracks in the walls. Old dirty house. Norman prayed a simple prayer. And he said, Jesus, Mike said that if I'd ask you to, you'd come into my heart. And I'd like that. Come in. And he was washed white as snow. I rejoiced. And God began to do a work in him. But God began to do a work in me. I didn't mind if everybody in town knew I was helping Norman. I used to tell him down at the ball game a little bit during the intermission. A bunch of those guys would be standing around drinking a Coke. And I'd say, just to have a clear blue, I couldn't stand it anymore. I wanted to praise so bad for this little good deed I was doing. I said, I'm helping Norman. These guys would look at me like, huh? What do you think they're going to do in the second half, Fred? They're going to run the... And uh, God said, that's not loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. When I'm in a church that needs this message because they have a lack of love, I always mention to them that God is 
praised in a lot of places. Most Christians, generally speaking, love God, but not many love their neighbor as their self. I'm going to finish with this. And believe me, there is, there's been eight years or more now of this. It could go on all night long. I will not. I'll finish with this. I had pride in me. God still works on it. He said, are you willing to help Norman? No matter how long it takes. Are you willing to help him take him places, make him a part of your life? Are you really willing? I said, oh God, he's so unlovely sometimes. He said, are you willing to go out there in the coal shed and bring his coal in when he can't carry it anymore and put it in his old stokermatic? And I said, there's no light out there, Lord, and sometimes the snow in Illinois is deep. And uh, he had me do so many things in that house that it was beginning to be a routine back and forth across the, the street. And, and one night he challenged me with what I want to close with. He said, in the bathroom one night, I was standing there looking in his bathroom. I had remodeled his bathroom by now, fixed his faucet, I fixed his sink, I got him uh, some new... Uh, Walls and I put him a new cellotech ceiling in and had a light I was working on. And, and uh, there's one thing in that bathroom that I just would not touch. It's over in a corner and uh, it's dirty. I just said, No. I said, Now, God, singing a choir? I'm singing choir. I love them. I love you all. Time, but I, yeah, I do that. Travel all the country and sing and tell them about Jesus. Okay, Lord. Not that. He kept troubling me about it, troubling me about it. I kept telling him no, kept telling him no. I fought that thing. I said, no way. He said, all I want you to do is fix that ring and lid on the top of it. You see, if you look at it, and I did, it, it, it had the two bolts that held the ring into the ceramic part. One of those bolts had broken off, and if you accidentally bumped into it, it just swung down by that one bolt and hang beside the, beside the bow. And he said, look over there. And I look, and someone, and I'm going to ask him one of these days. I'm not brash towards our father, but I'm going to ask him. I don't think he'll mind. I'm going to ask him who put that there. In a plastic bag was a brand new ring and lid. All I had to do was take a bolt off, take the old one off, throw it away, put the new one on, put the bolts on, and it was finished, but I wasn't going to touch it. Sat over in front of my television. One night he troubled me so bad I couldn't watch television. I, turned, I finally turned around to Carmel, my wife, and I just said, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> she was uh, looking at the Sears catalog or something. She looked at me like... I couldn't stand it. About an hour later, I went up and got my coveralls out of the pantry, and I put them on, put the collar up. I pulled the sleeves down, found me some gloves that came down over the sleeves. She laughed and told me later, if I'd have had an operating mask like a surgeon, I'd have had that on. I got my toolbox, and I crept across the street real late, over into Norman's bathroom, got the tools out, started working on that thing. And, 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 and that one bolt that was left, I just couldn't... Tried to get that boxing wrench on it. just wouldn't. And, and if I was God and a guy was finally willing to do something like this, I'd just have him touch that thing. It'd come right off, wouldn't you? But it wouldn't do it. I just, and, and finally, I tried to get as close as I could to it without touching it. You know, I'd, watch it. Whoa, watch it. And I'll tell you something. You've got to hug one of them things to work on them. You know, you, <laughs> and I just, I just couldn't get it off. And so I... I know, we're, I know we're in a church, and, and, and I'm going to trust God. He's got a good sense of humor because here's, here's what I finally had to do. It's true. I had, to, I had to get down on that old filthy floor so I could see up under that thing. And I, <laughs> crawled, and I took that wrench, and I, 
I finally got it on that nut and I moved it a little bit and old rust and dirt just hit me right in the eye like that. I said, this ain't the 700 Club. This ain't PTL. And I began to have one of Jim's pity parties he was talking about. And uh, the Spirit of the Lord took care of it. He spoke to me and said, right there on the floor, he said, when you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. It changed me. I didn't care if anybody noticed. I didn't want any money. I didn't want any acclamation for it. I didn't, I didn't care anymore. I just began to see when it said, I'll give my body to be burned. But if I have love, not love, it's for nothing. I begin to understand that word. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Went back home and I said, God, what else will you have for me? He said, son, get in your car. And take those songs that I've given you all over the country and leave them at radio stations. I think maybe he thought maybe I can trust him, maybe use him a little bit. And I went in the car all over the radio stations and he opened up television and suddenly record sales came in and then doors opened to speak all over the country. But he never allowed any of that to happen in my life. Not the first bit of it. No matter how much I agonized with him for 35 years. No matter how much I hollered and said, Why can't you use me, God? Why am I having to wait? Until he had taught me to love my neighbor as myself through my friend, my neighbor named Norman. He opened the doors and today, one of the favorite things that I get to tell around the country, if it be in Indonesia or Holland or America, is a story of how God used the old man named Norman to teach me to love my neighbor as myself. Mike, that uh, message moved me in 1984, and it still touches me Mm -hmm. now all these years later because it illustrates so beautifully the life and teachings of Jesus. You know, this is not just a story about a man who lived across the street. It's a story about how we're supposed to deal with the down and outer. And Jesus' ministry was always focused on those who were the social outcasts. Right. Uh, you know, it, just beginning with his birth, God could have put Jesus in the home of Caiaphas, the priest, or in Herod's home, or in the house of the high and mighty. But he brought him into the world in a humble family, in a stable. That kind of symbolizes his message to us. And I think of the lepers of Jesus' day, the AIDS patients of this day, who were discriminated against and legislated against. They could not walk into the village and buy things. They couldn't even stand and talk to so-called normal people. As they walked about, they had to shout, unclean, unclean, so people would stay back away from them. They were rejected, they were despised, they were unloved. But what did Jesus do? He walked right into their presence. He not only addressed them as human beings, but he touched them. He actually reached out and touched them and healed them. Lepers that had terrified everyone in that day. In his own way, Mike Atkins has touched 
uh, Norman, the untouchable, and he made a friend of him and then introduced him to Jesus Christ in a way that certainly relates to me and my mm-hmm. life. Yeah, you know, Mike, when you care for someone like that, then they're interested in what you believe. Then you have an opportunity to take them to the feet of Jesus, and that's exactly what Mike did. In fact, we need to tell our listeners now that Norman died just recently, and we're certain that he's in heaven today because Mike took the time to care for him. And it's a pleasure to tell our listeners that Mike Atkins is going to be here in our studio tomorrow to talk about Norman's final days. And I hope we have a huge listening audience tomorrow. And that concludes this Focus on the Family program entitled A Man Called Norman. Now, here's the follow-up broadcast entitled Farewell to a Friend Called Norman. Well, what a pleasure it is, Mike, to have an old friend with us uh, today, Uh, uh, Mike Atkins, uh, back in the studio. Uh, Mike is uh, a person that I not only respect very highly, but I consider him um, a deeply valued brother, and I'm so glad to have him here. Oh, I sure agree. Uh, when you say old friend, I mean, yeah. he's, well, he's getting up in years, but then we all are. <laughs> Not too far up in years, yeah. but it, I think, uh, it goes back to 1984 when I think to when Mike was first heard on Focus yeah. on the Family with a, a program that uh, has become one of the classics mm-hmm. for us back in September of 1984. Boy, that does take us back. Does right. take us back, and I imagine there are some people listening to us right now who heard that mm-hmm. broadcast. Oh, yes. I meet people on the street. Frequently, you tell me that they've been listening to us since 1977, and so I'm sure there'll hmm. be some who remember that. Uh, for the benefit of those who have joined us more recently, we have aired a message called A Man Called Norman that actually came out of the work of uh, Mike Atkins and his experience, his life, his words, uh, which Focus on the Family made into a blockbuster video uh, in the late 80s, I guess it was, and then a book. And uh, that work has blessed and inspired many people around the world, really, uh, for these Mm -hmm. years. Yeah, just hearing that message uh, brought back so many memories for me, not only of the response that we got to uh, the broadcast, A Man Called Norman, and the book and the the video, but what was going on, what the Lord was doing with this ministry at that time. And Mike was a key ingredient in shaping our future. And it's still going on today. Mike Atkins is. is a... Former coal mine inspector, I think a federal coal mine inspector. He uh, now travels all around the globe, uh, either singing or preaching or both. He's recorded five music albums. He's appeared on more than 300 national television programs. Uh, He's produced two Christian films. uh, In addition to A a Man Called Norman, uh, there's a wonderful film called Seeds for the Harvest. And uh, it's good to have him back. Mike, I'm so delighted to have you here. You, you are a an, good man. Well, thank you, sir. It's an honor to be here. I've always tried to wait on the Lord to open mm-hmm. doors of opportunity for ministry for me, and the fact that he would give me this opportunity is really mm-hmm. an honor. You still speak often. I think you said, what, 185 times this year? About 150. I've cut back to oh. about 150. Oh. We used to do about, <laughs> you believe that. We used to do about 300 meetings a year in different places, but physically I began to see I couldn't hold up to that yeah. schedule. So as I prayed and sought the Lord, I feel like now I can handle about 150 maximum. But I enjoy it. I, I can't wait. I always look forward to my next meeting. Mm. I'm thinking now about the very next meeting and 
Looking forward to it. You heard me say a few minutes ago that uh, the last two days have been devoted to the soundtrack of A Man Called Norman. Uh, we're talking to people right now who neither heard those early broadcasts or uh, the program the last two days. Some just happened to be spinning the dial and tuned in today. Uh, you're going to have to kind of start by telling us who Norman was and what your relationship with him was and why uh, that's important. Well, I think I can place that in people's minds this way. In 1968, uh, I committed my life to the Lord. And at our church that I began to attend at that time, they emphasized soul winning and reaching out to people in your neighborhood and such. Norman lived across the street from me. We had bought a brand new house after a lot of prayer. Well, it wasn't a new house, but it was new to us. And to my amazement, Norman lived across the street. Now, the reason I noticed him he, more than any other person in our town, was probably the most ridiculed, laughed at uh, person in our town. And I was literally shocked. But that emphasis at church, you know, to reach out to whosoever will. And so I went across the street hoping to getting to know him. The best way I know to describe that story to those who have never heard it in one sentence is to say that I went across the street with the intent in my heart uh, maybe of helping him, him get cleaned up, yeah. not only spiritually, but a little bit physically. But the true story is that the Lord used him to clean me up in some ways. People thought he was retarded. That's true. You actually thought there was something wrong with him. I absolutely did, yes. And you were scared of him. Absolutely. Very afraid. Well, yes. he acted like there was something wrong with him. Yes, he, he, he was very, very uh, lonely and very withdrawn and very quiet. And he had learned certain things to do publicly to keep people away from him, I think, so he would feel uh, much more safe. And so I was afraid. But as I got to know him, I discovered one of the most uh, beautiful human beings I ever met in my lifetime. I love mm -hmm. my grandfather. My grandfather went to be with the Lord when I was quite young. But Norman literally became like a brand new grandfather to me. Mm -hmm. And just observing his life, I learned so much from him. Watching the way he would react to people's ridicule and I'll tell you this, and it kind of tells about his character as quickly as I know how. I never saw him, never once did I ever see him react in an, with any kind of anger or even animosity or bitterness, let alone hold on to anything like that. Even when people ridiculed him and rejected him? Toward anyone, no matter what yeah. they did. When, when Focus on the Family came and made the film, and of course Norman appeared in the film at the end of the film yes. as himself. We were outside his house. They were setting up for the last scene in which I was going to sit in his living room and sort of recount the story. And suddenly that day, during the filming, I remembered something children used to do to him when he was little, or when they were little. They would poke their finger in his ribs and they would say numbers to him as quickly as possible, thinking that he was uh, perhaps a genius that could yeah. give them the sum total. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I remembered that. I hadn't thought of it in years. And I said, Norman, what did you think when those children were doing that? Because now I know you well enough to know you have complete understanding. Mm. He said, I thought they was out of their mind. He <laughs> <laughs> <that right>? cracked <laughs> me up. That kind of figures. But I never yeah. saw him react angrily. Mm -hmm. or any, and I used to get anger. I'd get angry over the smallest thing. Yeah. So it taught me. Many great lessons through knowing him. Well, we want you to bring us up to date, but before we leave the recap, uh, explain again what some people heard in the last day or two. 
um, about how you first began talking to him about the Lord. Uh, I believe you were in a, a crowded uh, restaurant or drugstore. Uh, and, oh, a Dairy Queen. A Dairy Queen, yeah. <laughs> and, and you just felt the Lord wanted you to go up and sit down and talk to him. Yeah, it was a Sunday night. I had seen him out in his yard, even approached him once in his backyard, and he would repeat everything I said to him, which was quite disconcerting, and, and especially if you're hoping to witness to somebody. <laughs> and then that Sunday night came, uh, and I saw him in the Dairy Queen, and I felt like something, and I someone, the Lord probably, told me to go over and sit down and just be friendly. Because he was always alone. No one reached out to him. So i, I got to be truthful. I acted like I was getting an ice cream cone and mm. so that people in the Dairy Queen wouldn't notice. And quickly I sat down by him and I said, uh, do you know who I am, Norman? It startled him and he said, do you know who I am, Norman? He repeated what <laughs> I just said to him. I thought, oh, no, he's going to do this. <laughs> and so people were starting to look and I just... In panic, I looked at him and I said, did you ever think about asking Jesus to come into your heart and be your Savior and your Lord? As quickly as possible. And he lowered his ice cream and for the first time ever, he didn't repeat me. And and he studied me for a moment and he said, I have given it serious consideration. Mm-hmm. That was the first yeah. moment that I realized this man understands yeah. Yeah. much more than people. He went on to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He prayed a prayer. Uh, You know, being technically correct, I found out years later, even after we had made the movie, that he had gone forward in a little church as a child and prayed. And I know God heard that prayer. Mm. But Norman, like all of us, I think, just needed to be reacquainted with a personal, daily relationship Mm. with the Lord. He prayed that prayer as an adult. And whether that was his actual moment of salvation or a recommitment, who cares? Yeah. The truth is, we want to make sure everything was all right between him and God. The truth is, Norman is in heaven today. That's the truth. Because he died on April 24th of this year. And you were with him when he died. And that's why we are mm-hmm. giving this emphasis to a man called Norman uh, today. Uh, you continued your relationship with him right to the end, didn't you? Yes, I tried to visit him with the same regularity that I'd always visited him, even after the movie came out. Hmm. I did that because I didn't want people to ever misunderstand and think that we were trying to uh, misuse him or exploit him. And it turned out to to be right, I think. Uh, He was, he spent his last 10 years in a nursing home, but it was necessary. He fell on, he was a diabetic, right? He was a, he was a diabetic. Uh, so he fell on the ice and snow and damaged uh, his leg, the interior blood vessels and what have you. Mm. And so for his, to just to keep him alive, they put him in a nursing home. And for 10 years, I would visit him in that nursing home. And this last April, when he quietly, beautifully went to be with the Lord... I wasn't sure I was going to get to be there. I was I was on a ministry trip lasting about uh, 10 days or so. I'd call home every day three or four times. Carmel, my wife, would give me an update on him. To be truthful, I there are times your heart's somewhere else, yeah. but you have to uh, do the work that you're called to do. Right. But the Lord was so gracious. I got home, and, uh, two and a half, the last two and a half hours of his life I got to spend with him 
Carmel and I were at his bedside. And, in fact, as he began to breathe uh, much more slowly, peaceful the entire time, I experienced the most amazing presence of, of the Lord that I think I'd ever experienced in my life. It was it was a, an odd time because off in the distance there in the nursing home, I heard a sitcom playing on television in someone's room that had it turned loudly. Probably they couldn't hear well. And that sitcom was full of canned laughter as he was breathing his last uh, breaths. So I just stroked his arm and quietly uh, I said, uh, you know, I love you. I said, tell Jesus, hello for, for me. I didn't know if he could hear me because I knew he was down to the last. This that I'm going to tell you will be the most difficult part of what I have to tell you. Out of his right eye, that eye alone, uh, one tear, Ran down his cheek. So you knew he'd understood. And I knew he'd heard. And Mike, he hadn't been able to communicate with you, had talked very little. His communication had deteriorated over the, especially the last year. He uh, he had to go to the hospital the last year, the last 11 months, not, not to be too morbid because... It was wonderful what happened that day when he went to be with the Lord. The peace of the Lord was there in such an awesome manner that it made it all right for me. I just miss him as a friend. But he went to the hospital, and they had to remove both his legs. So he spent the last uh, 11 months or so in bed. And with that, less and less communication took place. But he'd always know me, and the nurse would tell me, we're glad you got back from your trip because he's been looking for you. We can tell. Mm-hmm. And he'd smile when I came in the room. He really was my friend. More than mm-hmm. anybody knows, he was just my friend. Mm-hmm. And I tried to be his. Yeah. How old was he? In his 80s? 86? He was 86. 86. He had a good, full life. Mm-hmm. You know what tickles me? Maybe this will help me get past this poignant moment. Uh, I often I like to think... How not everyone in our own, in my own hometown, and, and they're wonderful people. They're they're no worse than anybody else in any other town. They're wonderful people. I, I love my hometown, mm-hmm. love the people. But not even everyone in that hometown knew him, or cared to get to know him. But God now calls his story in his life to be known. Mm-hmm. I may not be correct in this, but I think it's something like thirteen nations and three or four languages. Mm. Through focus on the family's film and and book, tell us about the funeral. How many people came? Well, it was it was uh, remarkable, really. I used to think, what if Norman did go to be with the Lord? What would his funeral be like? But in truth, uh, about thirty-five people. We have a very nice funeral home in our town. We have several, but it was a very nice one. And I I I will tell this because it's truth. Years ago. Uh, Focus on the family, had sent Norman a little uh, love gift just to show their love for him, nothing else. We took that uh, that amount of money and prepaid his funeral years ago. It had earned enough money yeah. 
they did not only included a first-class funeral. Mm. Everything was first-class. His casket, everything. But it also purchased him a brand-new suit mm. for his funeral. So he looked great. He, uh, We had flowers all... We had a huge spray on the casket from our ministry. And uh, I, I said, folks, at the first of the funeral, I said, let's don't make this a religious event. Norman wouldn't like that. Norman was all about relationships. So... Anybody that knew him that wants to say something, stand up, and if you can be brief and let others have time, we'd appreciate it. And several people stood, and, the, and it was just beautiful. It was it was like it was divinely orchestrated. Did you speak? Uh, very. I, did, I didn't really speak. I just read the 23rd Psalm, and at the very end, after they all had commented about him, I made a few little brief comments. But I looked over at him in the casket, and when he accepted the Lord years ago or made that commitment in his house with me, I remembered his prayer. He said, "He said, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior. And then he said, Amen. And he looked up at me and he, he said, did I do okay? <laughs> I remember that. I looked over at him in the casket at the end of the funeral, the last words we said at the funeral. Did okay. I said, you did okay. You did okay. I understand that there was a plot of ground there that had been in the family. He didn't have any family at all, did he? No, his father was killed in a coal mining accident. His father had worked in a coal mine, as I did. Uh, the roof fell in on him years ago as Norman was, when Norman was quite small. I found out uh, when I knew Norman would, was going to be going with the Lord unless God did a miracle. I found out that there was a cemetery plot that his father had evidently bought. And I couldn't find it. You know, our cemetery's not that large. My wife and I would drive up there and we'd walk and look for names and, and we just couldn't find it. And the reason I couldn't find it, he bought it so long ago he was in he was in the the plot right at the first I don't know what they call it, but section A, plot uh, one. He was uh, right at he's got the best spot I think in the cemetery. And then I was concerned about buying him a stone. I thought he's gotta have a nice stone. And when I found his plot I couldn't believe it. He's got a beautiful stone. His father's name's on it, his mother's name's on it, and his name's on it. The Lord took care of that old man, didn't he? Every he little, loved every Norman. little thing. I <laughs> forgot, I forgot, uh, I'd never been in charge of a, of, a, of a funeral. You were the executor in the last year. Yeah, he had no relatives. And, 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 a, and a, the funniest thing happened, the state of Illinois, you talk about the goodness of God. The state of Illinois called me. In January of this year, and they said, we think you should become Norman's legal guardian, which allowed me to make the arrangements for for everything about his home going. And I did. I think I did everything all right, except I forgot pallbearers. I forgot pallbearers. After the funeral, the, the funeral director came and he said, who, who are your pallbearers? And that was the first moment I'd even thought of them with everything else going on. Uh, my daughter sang and... Uh, she sang a song that I thought was so appropriate called, I Know That My Redeemer Liveth. Mm-hmm. And so as God does things so well, in the audience, those 35 people or so, there were three pastors who drove some quite a distance to come and be there at his funeral. And each one said they'd be glad to be a pallbearer. And then uh, my brother Steve was there who loved him, loved Norman, and he was a pallbearer, as I was. And then one young man from the funeral home, so it gave us... Enough to be, and, and one of those pastors said something that made it just perfect. As we took him out of the hearse and up to the place of his burial, beside a beautiful fir tree, an old fir tree, it was just it was just right. This pastor said, "You know, I felt like I was carrying a king." 
you got far more from Norman than you ever gave to him, didn't you? No he doubt about it. He your life and your relationship with the Lord. No doubt about it. I, I didn't even know this until we were well into that relationship with him. But in Isaiah, if anyone ever takes the time to look, in Isaiah 58, mm. I believe it is in verse 6, it, it talks about, how we're to be willing to reach out to people. And it well, just names eight little things. It just so happens I've got that scripture oh, in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> you, you two work together well. You guys prepare. Uh, Isaiah 58.6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Well, that's that's pretty drag. This is what God wants of us, and this is what the Lord laid on your shoulders. Each one of us. Yeah, and especially in relation to Norman. I was glad to do those things, and they weren't difficult. But right after that scripture you just read, the immediate scriptures that follow that... Are overwhelmed. Well, I happen to have that. No, oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> if you did that, I'd say, oh, no. Quote that one for me. Well, what it says from there to the end of the passage, I can't quote every word, but it says things like, your light will rise from obscurity. Mm-hmm. I've related that to my own life. It was a joy to help Norman. But God took me from under the earth, an underground coal mine. And because of Norman, more than any other one reason, I believe he sent me around the world to tell people about his love. Mike, you, and Mike <laughs> Trout, you remember that somebody sent us a tape, and I was riding along in the car listening to that tape. Mm-hmm. That's the first time I'd heard the name of Mike, Mike Atkins, and first time I'd heard the story of, uh, of Norman, and I just uh, felt the power of that message. Oh, yes. And we put that on the air, and there was an unbelievable avalanche of response from our friends, and that's uh, where I got in touch with you. Mike, to, uh, to to see if you would allow us to air it and to uh, go on and make a film series. A story out. like this comes along once in a lifetime. Mm. And we were so fortunate to be there and to mm. be able to be the vehicle that you could use to share the uh, the life of Norman. Well, I can never thank you enough, and you did it awfully well. You did it mm. with great skill and great... People still come care. up and talk to you about it? Yes, and I hear testimonies... Uh, wonderful. I, I'd like to say I don't hear as many as I'd like to hear, but having thought that through, these are the kinds of things you don't do for public applause. You That's don't right. do these things for the applause of man. So maybe people aren't just telling me everything. But I've well, heard a few people remember stories. Norman's name. Sometimes they mm-hmm. might not remember yours. That's exactly you know, right. Because a man called Norman was the title of the film. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you <laughs> came to focus to visit us a few years ago. I didn't know you were here, you rascal. You didn't come up to see me. <laughs> and you went over to the Welcome Center. Tell the story of what happened. Well, I went with a tour group. I, w- I wanted to just see the facility and see how God's blessed you, and he has, of course. And as we got near the film area where they you have pictures and portraits on the wall showing pictures of different films that focus on the families produced over the years, the young tour guide, I remember, she said, I don't know if I should say this or not, and she pointed at Norman's hmm. cover of his book, and she said, this is probably my favorite film of all of them we've done. <laughs> she said, does anyone have any questions? <laughs> so I raised my hand and... And all of a sudden, she recognized me. That was more fun. <laughs> I get introduced sometimes. Pastors introduce int- will introduce me as a Norman's friend. They don't even remember my name, and that's all right because, you know, his story is what's important. Mike, uh, tell us what Norman left behind. 
They leave lots of money. They leave uh, a lot of memorabilia. What'd you find? Ninety-seven cents. That's what was in his pocket. But there at the nursing home, he had a little file. I brought it with me today. I know people won't be able to see it, but if we can describe it briefly. Tell us what's in it. Well, this is his actual little file. It's a little kind of light gray or off-white little plastic file. And I guess each person at the nursing home was given a little file for their personal belongings. These were his. Uh, For instance, in this, I found his... uh, High school diploma. Hmm. I'll show it to you guys. It's yeah. in the year, I think. Uh, Franklin County High School. Right. Mm-hmm. West Frankfurt what, High what School. What year, Mike? Norman Corbin, uh, having completed the course of study, prescribed uh, this 28th day of May, A.D. 1937. Hmm. I was one year old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were one? Yeah. And then also, hurry on. Uh, this is just a typical little... Uh, Thing children would send him all kinds of things where they they love to draw pictures, you know, and they would put this one says a man called Norman from uh, Tessa, and on the bottom she put focus on the family. So uh-huh. he evidently sure. saw the movie. Or, and he kept that. Yes, he child. kept. Yes, and I would take these to him and read him. Yeah, I'd read each one. He would look at each one, each child, and then I'd write back to each child, yeah. and uh, individually because I thought that was important. She said, "Dear Mike," uh, on the back of her picture, she wrote, yeah. "I really liked your movie." I love the story. My favorite part was the baseball game and the toilet scene. And she uh-huh. misspelled toilet, of course. Love, Tessa. Uh-huh. I just thought it was so typical. I'd bring that. That was in his little file. Uh, or was that yours? No, I, I added that to the file I to see. come out here to show you an example of the literally thousands of children that yeah. would write to him through the years. What but, else is in it? Oh, he's got this is the most wonderful letter. Uh, I got a phone call from a housewife who heard Focus on the Family. About two years ago, she called me, and she said, Your story of Norman reminded me so much of a man in our town. His name is Archie. And and she said, My husband and I live in Fairchild, Wisconsin. I got my atlas and circled it. She said, If you ever buy here, come and meet Archie. What happened to Archie was much like Norman, a recluse, a loner. He really didn't want much to do with people, and, and they slowly befriended him after having seen the Norman video. He let them give him a ride home one night, and they saw his house was literally falling down around him. The walls had separated from the floors. So they took him on as a project. Their church headed it up, and the entire little town of Fairchild bought him a brand-new little house and set it beside his old house. I drove there without anybody knowing it about uh, two months ago. They, They don't even know this today, to meet Archie for myself. I knocked on his door, <laughs> like I was asking directions. I said, where's this blacktop go out here? <laughs> yeah, he goes on. He told me the name of the town to head for. I said, you Archie? Yeah. He looked at me like, studied me, you know, like old timers do. <laughs> How come you know my name? <laughs> yeah. I said, do you know Donnie and uh, Carmen? Yeah. He said, they, they, they go to that church that helped me out and got me this house. I said, Archie, I don't mean to be personal. My dad always warned me not to get too personal with people, but... Uh, might offend him, but I said, do you know Jesus personally? He said, that's all been taken care of. And he kind of <laughs> smiled at me and shook my hand. Did he really? And I left. Uh, uh, I wonder how many other Normans there are out there. People tell know. me they, they meet them every day in their towns. Yeah. They say they're in every town. They, they'll tell me different names, of course, but they're all Normans. And your impulse was to stay far away from Norman 
I yeah, mean, there wasn't anything about him that drew you to him, and yet the Lord had a ministry for you there. Well, I don't want to say this to, and bring any shame on anybody. That's not my intent. But when I first became a Christian in 1968, I had the mistaken idea that that was normal for Christians. I thought probably most Christians reached out to the hurting and the poor and all that. I really did. I really believed, and I thought it's about time I do it. That was really the incentive to go over, even though he was, uh, you know, frightening and very different. But I thank God I did, because he sure changed my whole life and my whole existence. What else is in the file? Someone, I don't know who. This was at the nursing home, and this was on the wall by his bed. I thought it was so right. It's still got the plastic around it. Someone bought him this and sent it to the nursing home. I have no idea who again. But it said, God danced. The day you were born. You're still very tender about that man. Well, he obviously appreciated that, too, if he had it hanging on the wall. Well, I got a little Uncle Howard in me, I guess. But uh, <laughs> this was Norman's mother's Bible. Inside are pictures of Norman's dad, Norman's mother. Here's one of Norman in the nursing home when he was... Mm-hmm. quite elderly. They had a dance one day. And the nurses, uh, one of them said, Norman, could I have this dance? And he oh. he couldn't dance, but he mm-hmm. held her for just a moment. They had that picture made. Um, My goodness. I just cherish He was a big things. man, wasn't he? he yeah. Was he, well, he became, uh, here's a picture of him in, at his heaviest. He He never had very good food and after his mother died. And then uh, in the nursing home, suddenly he had... Access to all kinds of food, and boy, he really went to town. He, he, his waist finally was 50. Mm. We had to buy him a, a suit at a big man store. But before he went to be with the Lord, the last year, he was down to probably what I'd call high school trim. Mm. And uh, he looked wonderful. Anything else there? Well, just the change that belonged to him. Yeah. Oh, and his, his little watch. Mm. I still have his watch. That, uh, now, that was the sum total of his possessions in this world that was it in 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 the bicycle and uh well i don't think you've mentioned the bicycle oh the, uh he had a bicycle that um i don't know when his dad bought it for him if his dad was the one who bought it but probably 19 around 1930 something like that it's an old swin bicycle with a front wheel smaller than the back wheel mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the stand that uh, you know nowadays we have kickstands on bicycles but they had a bar that came down and over the front tire and would set flat on the ground, so that's how you'd have the bicycle stand by itself. He also had uh, a lot of old furniture. Uh, when when we tore his old house down, it got so bad the, the police agreed in my hometown that we should finally tear it down so vagrants wouldn't uh, stay in there all night and maybe get caught on fire or something, so we tore it down. But I saved every item he had inside that house. Still have it today. Stored it for him just in case he wanted to see it. And he came out once to see it mm. in those in those years of uh, going to the nursing home when he could still get out. He came out once, <clears> and <throat> after that he was fine. Well, Mike, I want to thank you for a number of things. I want to thank you for your sensitivity, uh, for the needs of hurting people, and for sharing your message with the world and certainly with Focus on the Family and for allowing us to convey it uh, to others. 
and for being willing to give and to care for others. You had a family to raise. You didn't have time to mess around with some strange guy that lived in your neighborhood. And yet uh, you you followed the dictates uh, of your heart. The Lord was talking to you. Um, if you had to put a bottom line on that entire experience, what would it be? I learned through my friend Norman to love people for their sake and not what I would get out of it. And the amazing thing that happened was, even though I intended to never tell this story, God, through a miracle, had a tape sent to focus on the family. You didn't send it, did you? No, sir, I did not. A lady sent it. I have no idea who she was to this day. I just know Bobby Valentine, who was the yes, director here. Exec- mm-hmm. Thank you, Mike. Mm-hmm. At one time here, and recently, I think, has moved on to her retirement. Um, she told me that a lady sent it in the mail, and mm-hmm. that's how it came to It stayed to in a stack of tapes that I didn't have time to listen to for a long time. And finally, I popped that thing in in the car one day. I was on my way up to Mammoth, I think, wow. uh, California. We were going up there for a little ski trip and listened to that tape. And it changed my life. And I know it's done that for many others. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for your great love for the Lord. You're continuing uh, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ every way that you can. One last thing, Dr. Dobson, if I might have a moment. I think the Lord from time to time wants to emphasize certain things. I think all that happened in this story about Norman was he was ready to emphasize again, and maybe is today, that people would care enough to reach out to hurting people, whether they be poor or wealthy or in between, whatever their status is in life, and just tell them how much he loves them. You have found that it is successful to simply lay the claims of Christ before people. Yes, sir. And it would seem to be untactful, and awkward, and maybe not productive, and yet the Lord has blessed it. People are so hungry, Dr. Dobson. They're so hungry. Every day of my life, I ask the Lord to let me talk to somebody about Him, and He does. The way you approach them is important. I don't cram religion down anybody's throat. I strike up a conversation. I ask, how's your day? I mention something maybe that I see in their hand, or ask them what their work is, and In just a moment or two, I say, you know, I had a great miracle happen in my life, and I begin to tell them about Jesus and his love, and I say, every one of us have sinned and come show the glory of God, so I'm no better than anybody. But uh, I just wondered, has there been a time in your life since you were born until now when we've met where you personally invited him to be your Savior, your personal Savior? I tell him he died for everyone, but have you personally done that? And he gives me those opportunities, and, and I thank God. The frustrating thing is I wish there were more of them. You know what? Mike, there are, and they're listening right now. There are people listening right now who don't know Jesus. You want to say something to them? I wish I was God so I could say this in such a way it would hit their heart with impact that they would recognize. But he loves them. He could have stayed with his father in a marvelous place called heaven, but he chose because of that love. I wrote a song on the way here for this taping. I wrote a song on the way here yesterday. I for today's it. broadcast. I, I, not to sing on the broadcast, <laughs> but on the way here. Yes, yeah. coming here to do this taping, I wrote a song. I saw a bumper sticker on a truck, and it simply said, I've seen grace. It was that grace or that love that brought him to that cross, and he did that for each person. 
It has nothing to do with religion. Religious people crucified him. But it has everything to do with right relationship. Now, he will want you to learn about him. You do that in a church. It's a wonderful place to learn about him. You grow in a church. But it all begins with that moment where you say, I realize now that he went to that cross, yes, for everyone, but also for me. But they say, Mike, you don't understand. I've lived a wretched life. I've Mm -hmm. done all kinds of things. I've got so much guilt on my shoulders that I could never get rid of it. Then you simply remind them that uh, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. I do that by saying this to them. Mankind spends a lot of time looking on the outward appearance. How to be successful. You've got to look this way. You've got to do this. You've got to have this. God uniquely looks on the heart. None of us are without sin. Not, not one. So you're just part of the human race and we all need a Savior who loves us enough to die for our sins. And then I say, would you pray? And invite him not only to be Savior, but let him start guiding your life and let him be Lord. If there's someone out there who has been touched by this message today or by the story of Norman in the last two days, I hope they'll write us, Mike, and Mm -hmm. let us know about it. If there's any way we can help here at Focus on the Family, we'd be glad to do it. We have materials. We have counselors. We have people who would help you. If you're confused about uh, the meaning of Christianity and uh, maybe you've never understood it the way Mike uh, put it uh, just now, give us a call and we'll do what we can to help. And uh, Mike, thanks for being our friend and for being here. Thank you. And keep telling those stories and keep sending me tapes, will you? Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for allowing us to be here. And with that, we've come to the end of this Focus on the Family program. We hope that this material has been helpful to you, and we encourage you to contact us with your questions or comments on this or any other family-related topic. Our address is Focus on the Family, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80995. And our phone number is 1-800-THE-LETTER-A and then the word FAMILY. That's 1-800-232-6459. Now, if you're in Canada, please write to us at Focus on the Family, Box 9800, Vancouver, B.C., V6B4G3. And the phone number in Canada is 1-800-661-9800. And thank you for listening.